Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from uh, Jerusalem. This is Watchmen Talk, a conversation with uh, Major General Retired Eitan Dangot, um, with uh, a very uh, long and uh, proud career. Um, I am Amir Oren. In our first part, uh, we talked about your uh, career as an artillery officer, and we reached your uh, position uh, in the Home Front uh, Command. Now, one of the responsibilities of uh, the Home Front Command is not in Israel proper, but abroad, uh, assisting uh, when disaster strikes uh, in uh, many countries, earthquakes um, and other uh, such uh, events. Um, and you led uh, at least one mission, perhaps more, uh, to such countries. What uh, was your experience uh, in that? You are touching a very even sensitive and uh, I think exciting point because I was command the delegation that went to Mombasa. Kenya. In Kenya in 2003, while 2003 or two, while uh, three terrorists uh, killed suicide uh, terrorists enter to hotel while a group of Israelis just came to the hotel in Mombasa and murder two brothers and the guide of uh, of this of this team and many were wounded before uh, uh, was launching a missile on Israeli aircraft Arkia we just depart from Mombasa it was a change of groups November of 2002 yeah, yes. I heard about this in Israel, when I was on the way to the uh, meeting in the staff in Tel Aviv, and after two hours, I got a phone call, organized a, a, a delegation, which will be based on infantry uh, fighters with other kind of what you will need. You are going with six aircraft by Hercules from the Air Force with one Boeing, and your mission is to bring back the wounded, to see what's going there. And there was a contact, but it was a little bit foggy, all the situation. It's a similar flight plan to the Entebbe operation, uh, because yes. it's... Yes, but it, we, with a big difference, we came not by force. So I was very, with two legs on the ground to understand, we are coming to Kenya while in the airport, there are some people from Mossad and other organizations which supply us details, but a lot of data was missing. We were not sure what's going on the ground with other terrorists that escaped. So it was not Entebbe, but it was not a kind of mission to bring back home uh, people from far away. And you remind an earth attack, etc. I think that this is the main thing that each Israeli civilian, when he is in abroad, 
in his mind when something happened, he expect even it far that maybe the country IDF will come. And the moment I land in Mombasa with the Boeing, I had two hours before the Hercules that were a little bit uh, behind us. Uh, and it was for me quite time to decide what I can do. The end of this operation, when I was on the ground, we landed without lights in a very dark place in the airport. We took all the airports around with uh, almost a battalion of infantry. And uh, at the end, we sent back home more few hundreds of Israelis that came from all Kenya. They were everybody under heard about it and they can took a commercial flights, but they heard the IDF is there and they came. And I saw what is the meaning to be a Jewish or Israeli civilian that you are in such a tech and coming from home, your IDF to defend, to bring you home, I think it gives something that is missing to many other countries. And the moment I came back home on the last airplane, while everybody already flight, there was not place for the soldiers. We were waiting to another big aircraft that will come. The first candle from Hanukkah, we entered home. It was one of my really emotions uh, when I look from the cockpit on a lot when we entered to understand what is a right to be officer or a fighter in the IDF and in your time to be a part of such a big organization and operation that bring and that is because how Israel developed the, the situation with all the delegations. But this is parts to understand that the real mission is inside the country, of course. We earlier touched upon your time in the Netherlands and also uh, Brussels, the NATO headquarters, uh, when you were a military attaché uh, stationed um, at the Israeli embassy. And uh, obviously um, you were experienced in uh, working with the foreign ministry, but such a, a mission, as you just described to Mombasa, probably gave you another view of uh, intergovernmental, interdepartmental uh, coordination with the foreign ministry, with Mossad, with other parts of uh, the IDF. Is the Israeli um, government geared to, to such uh, operations or uh, do you improvise rather than prepare for it by regular contacts between the ministries and the uh, operational bodies? I think that it's more is directed towards those countries that you have part of dark relations with them. Because when it's open countries, it's much more easy. And by the way, those countries has a lot of uh, advantage to take on such activities by themselves and it's a different way. But the answer really is, first of all, in every place, try it to leave open doors, individual contacts, that on the time you need, you don't know from whom you will get, even its countries, who will open you the door. And it's very important what you just mentioned, the context by the service as Mossad or internal security, or context by individual figures, political, helping a lot in such occasions. So if you ask me, Israel should continue on a way 
to prevent any kind of total close area to some places. You see, in even Abraham Agreement, it helped a lot. And we know that were kind of activities many years ago, like before the peace with Jordan and others. And I believe that if you ask me, I studied a lot from the time I served as a military attaché. I can tell you an example. Even my colleague from Turkey in The Hague, that we were friends and time came and the relations between Israel and Turkey has been changed. When I was later a major general, I used my contact with one of the main uh, Turkish figures that was ambassador in a very important country to meet him and to discuss things for the country in this kind of uh, really uneasy situation after the Marmara case. Secondly, I met my colleague who became a very high senior officer in the Turkish armed forces to help in other ways. So I think at the end, it's individual stories that helping a lot, even you are impact by your movement in the country, even there are sometimes radicals, etc. When you have a door, don't close it automatically with lockers. You uh, happened to serve as uh, the military secretary to uh, three ministers of defense, uh, Shaul Mofaz, who was earlier the chief of staff, um, a military man, Amir Peretz, who was a civilian, and then Ehud Barak, who was, of course, earlier also chief of staff and then prime minister and minister of defense. Um, are there general lessons common to all three of them, or is it uh, an individual experience with each of uh, these figures? First of all, it's both. But I think that the main thing, it's not easy. You just mentioned three people, that all of them, I have a lot of respect. But if you had, if you would like to add an add value, to those people from your job as a military secretary, you have to identify what you can head in such fields. If you are taking Shaul Mufaz with a lot of security experience or Amir Peretz come without it, and Amir Peretz after, you remember, two months come to directly to Second Lebanon War, and you're coming out Barak, which was a prime minister, if you are not there with add value to each one of them, to his data, to his background, to his way of thinking, you don't have to stay beside them. They will not let you to stay beside them because it's a question sometimes if on a very sensitive point because Minister of Defense in Israel is really carried and uh, have a large scale that he has to, to cover on his daily life. But as a military secretary uh, on active service, you're a general officer, a brigadier general, under the chief of staff. The chief of staff has uh, approved your appointment, even if he did not recommend it. And uh, you expect to go back to the service and perhaps be promoted. But your immediate superior is the politician, the minister of defense. How do you maneuver between these two? Very difficult to be in such a, a place of junction. First of all, you have to bring your knowledge every day that you are a military officer and you know to put where are you will be closed by lines because sometimes you hear things and you have to close 
to earth and even not to talk this about this. This is the place it. to tell uh, all of these secrets. <laughs> not here. <laughs> but, and I was asked sometimes if I will write a book about this. It's really adventure and I studied a lot. But when you are the right end of someone who give you and trust you, I think it's not going only the time of the you're with him. It's going all your life with with him, because every everyone at the end is a human being. But if something is not damaging, the main purpose of the security, for example, situation in Israel, you have to be there and you have to be very careful. But you are right. At the end, it's a human being relationship. Relations between general uh, uh, chief of staff and minister of defense, it's not easy. Now, in the Israeli system, if the prime minister is not also the minister of defense, sometimes Barak and uh, Rabin, um, uh, for example, held the defense portfolio when they were uh, prime ministers. If there are three senior people, Prime Minister, Minister of Defense, Chief of Staff. Does the system function uh, efficiently or should, it, should the Prime Minister also be the Defense Minister? If you ask me now as a civilian, I prefer that we'll be Prime Minister, Minister of Defense, of course we'll be Chief of Defense Staff. I think it's much more better for the country, for democratic way of the countries, that will be exchange, exchange of thinking, even tense. And while you are talking, you know that many of the stories that are coming, many of the problems that are raising are sometimes as an outcome of those who are fulfill a job as the right end. If you know to reduce things, if you know to try to calm them, because everybody, when you are living will together in such a sensitive functions will be tense and disagreement and especially at the level of the politicians credits and kind of things at the end in the security you will have to limit the things that are disturbing you for bringing the main uh, I think decisions to take the real and what is need to be taken and if you ask me I think that should be a Minister of Defense. And Rabin, I didn't work with him. I met him when I was a military attaché. But I think it was not topical to that kind of thing because I think that he behaved more than a Minister of Defense, than a Prime Minister. He liked this kind of atmosphere. I can tell you as a gossip that when I entered to my job, Arik Sharon was that time prime minister. After discussions, I, sometimes I stayed with him alone, and I felt they are trusting the military area. That is kind of culture and tradition. But I don't believe that a prime minister can really can be also minister of defense. There's a lot of other kind of things to handle policy about the uh, opportunities for uh, security products, uh, industry, uh, society, that are the, there are a lot of problems to work. I, if you ask me, if I get the opportunity, I will choose to, to be Minister of Defense instead of Prime Minister because there you are limit 
the unnecessary parts of the political and you know, that are not running. When Rabin uh, became defense minister seven years after ending his first term as prime minister, and he was asked whether he wants to go back to the prime ministership, he said that he likes the defense ministry, and being a prime minister is an option, not an obsession. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Now, in 2005, six and seven, Under these three different ministers, first Mofaz, then Peretz, then Barak, you uh, were witness to three momentous events: the withdrawal from Gaza, disengagement, yeah, the disengagement. Um, um, sometimes some other people would say the evacuation or the expulsion, yes. um, uh, leaving Gaza in any event, then Lebanon. And then the Syrian nuclear reactor. Um, these are probably uh, events which left the mark on you. And there were others. Mean between was also the kidnap of Gilad Shalit before the Second Lebanon War. And later on was the operation in Gaza in 2008. Really was, I think, five years. That has a lot of uh, impact on the Israeli Uh, history and also looking for uh, the future. Three different ministers and three different uh, occasions. And uh, if you ask me, it was adventure. And uh, it was, if, when I'm looking today, when you are getting time from event, I think it's not fair to judge it as, what, as you judge it on that time. I was also responsible to the talks, for example, on the disengagement on behalf of Mufaz with the Palestinians in Gaza with Muhammad Dahlan. I was his POC for what was going in Gaza. And he came with a very strong self-confidence. He said, trust us. We have 15 battalions in Gaza. Nothing will happen. And at the end, you know what happened there. Yeah, they, they threw Hamas, threw yeah, Fatah yeah. off the roofs. But if you ask me, I think it was necessary to be done such a step. I think that today maybe you can too think it could be done in other architectural way, but as the main goal of this step, I think it, will, it should be done. I served in Gaza as a commander, as commander of battalion, as a colonel responsible for all the fire. Secondly, Lebanon war that came to us since 2006, you know, there is a quite of silence, but I think it shows out things that some of the main figures that were before and even came back after, we don't have to look on what happened in that time. You have to look what happened before. Who gave you the stick? How was the cockpit that time and the others? And what I mean even that you should not adopt the lessons from that effect today, I think, For example, if you're taking Lebanon, I think if I would say it today in the cabinet, I would raise the fact whether Israel has to think about war that will be under Israeli against Hezbollah on a time. Don't wait for them. You want to preempt? You want to choose the time? I think in the situation in the Middle East today, you should judge it. In a depth way, time has changed. Hezbollah, Iran, what's going bubbling around but, but, us? But uh, politically, this is what ruined Begin and Sharon in 1982. Not exactly 
we, we are in a different situation. 82 was Fatah, Syria and Lebanon in a half side, different way. The Middle East is not based on countries anymore. No, but war, a war of choice. A war Rather of than choice is for Israel's security, independent security, and keeping the country while you are looking far away about the nuclear development, while you are looking how the way from Tehran to Beirut is coming more and more close, while Iraq today is becoming maybe an empty field. And you are looking who is the real radical army in the Middle East that uh, you have to be aware to the damage it can be used as a proxy towards you. I mean, Hezbollah, it's not a country. Really bring to the table that Israel has to think de- depthly about timing, about other kind of strategic looking about what is the area, not to wait to a time that Iran will uh, give green light to Hezbollah, but we have to choose maybe a time to do it by ourselves because the result should be later more and more rescue towards Israel. I don't say tomorrow, but you have to change your concept. Now, your last job in uniform was as the uh, COGAT, as the coordinator the of government activities. government activities in the territories, which at that time or by that time meant only the West Bank, Gaza being uh, under Hamas, even though, of course, you still had uh, contacts and humanitarian actions there. Uh, what were the principles which led you in that job? First of all, I think the main one was that it was continuating as my job with the Minister of Defense. It gave me a lot of advantage, knowledge to understand the flaws. Because when you're dealing with Palestinians, you have the first flaw of the operational activities. But above it, and this is much more as impact, is the policy towards the Palestinians. You're right. We, I divided between Gaza and the West Bank. Simply... From what I uh, knew and learned from the Palestinians, West Bank is not only Palestinian problem. At my time, it was a big uh, involvement of the European community, international community, even today, but today much more lower. Gaza is a different story. So what I adopted at that time, a simple, I think, idea that says economy, security, and security is economy. And I tried with all I could do is, and I'm very happy that it has been done, to change a traditional policy towards the West Bank because I knew the couple that time, Abu Mazen and Fayyad, later on, on after Fayyad was another prime minister. The prime minister. Yes, but it gave me the idea, the direction of the West Bank is not towards large terror, but it's towards building a new, uh, let's call it an infrastructure, a new life to their people. And I still today support a lot the fact that as more as the economy situation is better in the West Bank, you limit the number of people that will choose violence. At that time, you don't need to explain it. Just look from the Arab Spring, 2008-9. You see that the population in the West Bank till today is coming in a very low level. I mean, from a large 
demonstrations and violence. Two, two questions, perhaps organizationally. You are called, you were called the coordinator of government activities, but actually it's mostly defense, even though you have uh, staff officers from other ministries, but you are working under the Minister of Defense um, rather than the cabinet as a whole. Yes, and also don't forget, I till my last day in this job, I first of all see myself as a soldier of the chief of defense staff. And it's only, it's also another junction, but sometimes it brings me the duty to say to my colleagues at the general staff and to the chief of staff things that they didn't like to hear. But I think this is the... Because you were willing to take a risk to open... I, I saw the picture much more larger because they were responsible, and this is right away, of uh, preventing supply, the next supply peace and supply defense to the population. And I look on the picture that I know about other kind of parameters. And even today in the West Bank on some way of Gaza, you see that among the last 10 years, there is a change of concept on the brains of Israel commanders, senior officers, even young. Today, when you are looking about commander of battalion in the West Bank, he will not move without the coordination with his colleague from the other side. It was when I was a colonel, we didn't speak with them at all. It means, if you ask me, there is an hope. There is an hope by the of coordination. And the Palestinian security forces originally called Dayton battalions. That was the start. Today, they're really based on the ground. You can do something. If you ask me, Amir, going further, I'm not believe we'll have a chance for two-state solution for the coming five years at all. In Abu Mazen time, you can make on it an X, but you can talk about it. And under it, I know it from Palestinian colleagues, they prefer to continue to develop their base as infrastructure, economy, uh, keep with, from the threats that from radical movements like Hamas and Jihad and leave the time for the talking. Maybe it will not come. Maybe what, it will what come happens, a different story. General Dangot, what happens uh, if there are elections there? Will Hamas take over? I'm not sure. Even it can be an exchange. In West Bank, there is a chance Hamas will win because Fatah failed itself. Fatah has become unconnected to the people, to the civilian, with corruption and other things. In Gaza, just remember, and you have a good memory, and uh, 2011 was a demonstration by for the day of Fatah. 400,000 people come suddenly to the streets in Gaza. Hamas were shaking. From that time, they are not permitted. In Gaza, it's a, a chance. But if you ask me, don't return... I'm not uh, surprised that Abu Mazen didn't agree for elections. Israel is not to agree to elections that Hamas will be a candidate. It's a Middle East. If you want to bring a problem and bloodshed, give Hamas and Jihad Islamic to be candidates. Retired Major General Eitan Dangot, a fascinating conversation. Thank you for being with us. Thank this, you. This has been Watchmen Talk. Thank you, and we will be uh, here again with another such conversation shortly.
Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.